You're listening to The Semi-Failed Writer. This is a show about my life experiences, my love for entertainment, and of course, my failures. How's that for being born under a bad sign? A naked blonde walks into a bar with a poodle under one arm and a two-foot salami under the other. She lays the poodle on the table. Bartender says, I suppose you won't be needing a drink. Naked lady says, Oh, shit! Jesus Christ Almighty! Forgot my pencil. Hola, muchachos! Welcome to episode seven of the Semi Field Writer. We are back to the dumb film debate, and I've got someone here to help me. Welcome back, Eric. I'm the dumb in the dumb film debate. Yes, you put the dumb <laughs> in dumb film debate. How is the social distancing, self-isolation, how's that working out for you? So social distancing means that instead of sitting at home and playing video games all the time, I sit at home and play video games all the time. <laughs> But you have a responsibility. But now, to but now I'm being very responsible. I'm re- like res- respecting everybody else and making sure that I don't contribute to any of the potential spread. Good and so, you, so now, now it's like an honorable thing to to sit at home and play video games all day. Yes, awesome. <laughs> I have to go to work still. I'm part of a essential business, and most of the people I work with are doing the work from home, but I'm one of the chosen few that gets to go in the office every day. So I still risk getting infected if I come into contact with too many people, but traffic is awesome. That, I don't know. That commute, gonna... The commute is working out these days. Yeah, silver lining there. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. But um, the thing that's been coming up recently is the small businesses that are having to suffer as a result of this. I've been unemployed on and off for three years it's awful and so i can't imagine how some of these other people are handling it yeah people who are furloughed or who have lost jobs and and like i mean what do you do right now with so many things shut down you know to make ends meet yeah they have to find a job somewhere that is willing to pay you um but with some of these small businesses still trying to survive and just try to scratch by and get to the the end of this whenever I'll be um we're trying to do our best to help them out so earlier this weekend we bought some beers from a local brewery we just bought some dinner from a place that's just a couple blocks away from here so hopefully that'll help them just stay alive a little longer but we encourage any of you if you have means to do it to try to help out some of these smaller businesses yeah who knows what update we're going to have next. There's something that's changing every two weeks, so yeah, stay tuned. All right, let's get down to it. We're doing a dumb film debate, and the theme that we're picking for today is what is the better of the John Hughes films. Now, before we really get into it, I just want to explain how we came down to this. So I've been really excited about doing these film debates, and I did some brainstorming, And I came up with all these different themes and movies that I want to have a discussion about because they all seemed really fun. The problem was I was going to a site to see what streaming service offered these movies where I could just watch them. And I'd say we have a fair share of streaming services that we use. 
But the problem I had was that a lot of these films were either part of a streaming service that I don't currently subscribe to, or they're not available for streaming at all. You'd have to rent them. And right now I'm not in the mood to be spending $3 here and there to watch a movie, so it really narrowed down my choices as to what to do, so we're doing John Hughes. The obvious choice would have been to debate Outbreak versus Contagion. That but I think we're all sort of relevant right now, but nobody wants to talk about that no, right now. No, no, we, we're getting, it's getting a little heavy handed here. So we're going to take a break from that. Think about a time where things were much simpler and a little, you know, easier to get through. So let me introduce the two films. So in the red corner, coming at you from 1985, it has an ensemble cast including Emilio Estevez and Molly Ringwald. It's the only time you would ever care about detention. It's The Breakfast Club. And in the blue corner, straight out of 1986, this is one of Matthew Broderick's most iconic performances. In a world where you can play hooky and get away with it, it's Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Here are the rules. We'll have opening statements, and then there will be seven rounds, each consisting of a different aspect of the film. A point is awarded after each round, and the film with the most points wins. Eric will be arguing on behalf of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and I will represent The Breakfast Club. So, you ready for this? Let's do it. Okay. So, opening statements, we did a fake uh, coin toss, and I get to go first. <laughs> so, <laughs> here we go here. <clears throat> hey, folks. For a long time, our world has become more and more divided. We all have our differences when it comes to our religion, political views, sexual preferences, and the like. But now we're starting to distance ourselves from anyone that has a different opinion than us and shaming them for being different. Pretty soon, we're going to disconnect from people that prefer Pepsi over Coke. It's getting out of hand. But what we don't realize is that we as humans are more alike and we are different. That is what The Breakfast Club is about. You have five teenagers who come from different social circles. They go from arguing with each other in the beginning to showing empathy towards each other in the end. They could see that they were more than the labels that society placed on them. And they all hate their parents. In this debate, I'll explain why this is a film beloved by a generation that grew up to Sean Hughes films. And not only that, there are lessons that could be carried on today. This is a film about tolerance and the struggle to break out of social constructs. That is my argument. You have the floor. All right, so if you think about the drudgery of daily life, work sucks, paying bills sucks, all your responsibilities suck, but Ferris Bueller's Day Off gives us an escape from that. Because who doesn't like the idea of ditching all their responsibilities for a day of fun? In this movie in particular, you get to be you get to be kind of brought along on the journey because Ferris keeps breaking that fourth wall and he talks to you as you're watching the movie, and so you get to kind of be included in his and his friends' hijinks through Chicago. It can it gives you that life philosophy that that you gotta sometimes make sure that you're enjoying things, that you're that you're doing things that that you enjoy doing with people that you like being around and and so that's that's really what's encapsulated in this movie and you can never go too far all right let's start with round one
Round one is story. This is the overall arc of each of the films. And so, Eric, you get to go first with story? All right, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. First of all, to summarize, the movie can be really easily summarized. Ferris fakes sick to get out of school so that he can go have fun in the city with his friends. Pretty easy. And and like I was saying in my in my opening statement, we've all imagined being able to do that. Like, everybody has either thought about or has faked sick to get out of doing something. Uh, and so it's so relatable. And to be able to go through that fantasy and uh, all the while outsmarting the authority figures and uh, along the way and uh, just just having that fun day where you get to kind of just do whatever you want to without the, the weight of the world bearing down on you. Because it's there's no, in this movie, there's no heavy issues. There's no moral that you're supposed to learn. All it's about is fun with your friends. Tell me this. Have you ever been into detention? Have I been in detention? Yes. yes. All right. I have two. It's not fun, is it? I didn't enjoy detention. Yeah, it's a punishment. Like, there's nothing good that ever comes out of detention. And so I imagine when John Hughes was trying to pitch this to an executive, he's like, I want to make a movie about these kids that are in detention. Like, that's a hard sell. But somehow he made this more interesting than any of us ever expected to be. So whenever you start off this film, it starts out with just these five kids that have to go to this Saturday detention and they have to spend nine hours of hell sitting there and then having to write an essay. But what's surprising is that they try to find ways to kind of get around some of the rules and then they start turning this library that they're in. It's not a detention. It turns into this hangout where you're having these dance parties, you're smoking pot, and then you have therapy time where each and every one is starting to share their feelings with each other. And I mean, I don't know what happens at the end of it if all of these kids are just going to go back to their normal lives with their friends and act sort of as if nothing ever happened, but you do realize in that one day that they at least had some camaraderie, that they were able to share some of their feelings with others and realize that we could all understand each other and we all are in the same boat. And there's something special about that that we not we did not expect from from the Breakfast Club. So stepping away from the arguments, which one of the two like from your argumentative side, but like now, which one do you think actually has the better story? I mean, there is a, a place to have the stories where it's like on the surface, it's fun. You don't have to worry about some of the heavier things that go on in life. But I did like that there was depth to the Breakfast Club. There was an arc, there was growth in some of these characters. And I think, as I mentioned before, it was unexpected. It's like when you start with this story, like you don't think it's going to be interesting to see just five kids having to be punished. And then it turned out not to be a punishment. It turned out that there was uh, something more that they learned about themselves. I think maybe Breakfast Club gets the advantage over here. Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to concede this one. Um, I don't think that it's by a lot, but I do think that there is there is sort of a dynamic about the, the Breakfast Club. There's just the fact that it does have a little bit more to it as far as what's going on it's not it, I, mean, I mean not to take away from that like whimsical adventure that that ferris gets to go on because it's kind of a cool story and fun to be along for the ride for that 
but I do think that that the Breakfast Club has it just has a little bit more of a of like kind of a kick with the story. So so when you're just thinking about the arc, it it really probably takes this category. All right, so we're giving the point to the Breakfast Club. All right, round two. Round two dialogue. is about dialogue. So you're up first this time. Okay. I hate saying this where I'm like, whenever I learned at university, and this is something Someone they taught me. Someone went to school me, to write. Yeah. I hate saying that. But this is one of the first things that I learned that was important about screenwriting. It's to have conflict. Every scene, every character has something that they want, and they have to find a means to get it. So in The Breakfast Club, I feel like there is conflict all throughout this film. Every single scene... There is an exchange between characters having opposition towards something. And the way that it starts at first is Bender's being the antagonist. He's trying to like be a pest to everyone. And then the others are just trying to like ignore him to tell him to shut up and all that. But then over time it shifts. The conflict's like they want their friends to tell the truth and they're too afraid to, they're not ready to bear their souls and there's still this conflict about telling the truth or doing this or doing that. There was the, uh, near the end of the film where they're all sitting on the upper level of the library and they're all ganging up on Claire where they just want to know if she's ever slept with anybody or what she's done. And they all have their different ways of trying to get her to just be honest, whether she's done it or not. And what was interesting about it is that it's very easy to have one-on-one -on -one conflict where it's just one person arguing with the other, but this is coming from a bunch of different people. You have five kids who each have a chance and they have their turns and they have these exchanges with everybody else. And it all works like this incredible dance where they're all contributing and they're all having these different uh, exchanges. Um, so I think that was very effective how they use the conflict to make every scene interesting in this film. So my my argument for the dialogue and and Ferris Bueller, I I, I just think that it, it, and again it's what's what really encapsulates the film at its best is that it's this whimsical, fun and like almost infinitely quotable. Like you can you there are so many things that that stand out from it, uh, and and it goes. Uh, it, there's a range of things because you have a lot of the exchanges and quotes where it's really funny, but then you also have some of the stuff where it's you know kind of insightful. And there's the the one quote that's basically the theme of the movie, uh, where where Ferris says, "Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it." And and you know that's a that's a pretty cool line. But there's there's also some really fun exchanges between characters like. Uh, where you have Grace, the secretary at the school, and uh, Rooney, the principal. You know, there's just a lot of funny things that they say to each other. You've got the iconic line from Ben Stein where he's calling attendance, and it's just Bueller, Bueller, and that's just, it's got to stick with everybody. And hey, how could you forget that part of it? But there's a couple of other quotes that I that I want to read just because I just find them really funny. There's So there's a part where there's a singing nurse, the nurse says, I heard that you were feeling ill, headache, fever, and a chill. I came to help restore your pluck, because I'm the nurse who likes to... And we'll let you wait, finish wait. that. <laughs> wait, wait, I know. It's, uh, 
like to bring potluck. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's what, oh. Something like that. I, I, I'm assuming that it's something like that. And then you know there there are other parts too where uh, another beauty in the film that that I'm gonna argue later also is just those fringe characters that only show up for a minute and and they're just they're all really funny in their exchanges with with Ferris and his friends and uh, or just with each other and whatever they're doing and uh, so I think that that's really where the the beauty lies in this movie. Okay, so it comes down to this: Do we have Conflict, 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 or do you have uh, lie-hard exchanges, breaking the fourth wall, and very quotable lines that we still remember to this day? I've been thinking about quotes from The Breakfast Club that kind of stick with us, and I only know a couple. There's eat my shorts, there's mess with the bull, you get the horns. The, the only thing they do in Breakfast Club is just conflict, just back and forth with each other. But there's other methods that they use here, and it makes it more entertaining. And so I, and, and I think they do all of it effectively. So maybe you're talking about in Ferris Bueller. Yes. So we're saying that Ferris Bueller's Day Off takes I'm this point. Saying he takes the point. Yeah, yeah. I I think I I think that that's the way to go. And and Breakfast Club definitely has its moments. And so this is another one that that I think you could you could definitely make an argument, but. There are just too many funny lines and and exchanges in, in Ferris Bueller's Day Off that I think you've got to give it the edge. All right. One, so one. Tied it up. One. All right. Round three. <laughs> round three is characters. You go first. So the characters in the movie, you've got... You've got your main characters, and who who wouldn't want to be Ferris Bueller? He's the hero who always wins who's got his hot girlfriend, he's got his lovable loser sidekick friend, uh, who's so tight that if you stuck a lump of coal up his ass, in two weeks you'd have a diamond. <laughs> and their interactions with each other are are fun. But the real place where the characters in this movie shine, it's all those little bit parts. All those wacky characters that are that are either more minor or just appear in a single scene at a time. Um, and so some of those characters, just to, to get into a little bit, you have uh, Principal Rooney, who's just this, well, he's trying to catch Ferris, and he's just he's just got this funny energy about him, and, well, a little bit creepy, and but he, he gets his money's worth in, in some of the scenes that he's in, and, and I brought up also Grace, who's, the, who's his secretary, and she's just got this funny sort of Midwestern charm about her and the way that she interacts with the principal is great they're the guys in the garage when they park the ferrari for the day uh who they go on, on a joy ride and and again that's such a short scene but it's just really funny there's the host at the at the restaurant and for some reason since abe froman never shows up or cancels his reservation they get to really all these little characters ben uh ben stein it, it just as the iconic boring teacher it's just there's so many of those like fringe characters that are really really funny in very limited time even in the breakfast club you have these fine made characters the brain the athlete the basket case the princess and the criminal and i would find it hard to believe that any of you would not be able to identify with any of those five characters they kind of capture like every type of personality in a sense. They're very diverse and um, their differences 
in this film are exemplified in many effective ways. It's not just the way that they talk and explaining their upbringings and the things that they wear. There's two things in particular that really show how different they are. So one of them is in the beginning of the film where they're all going to Saturday detention. One of them's just walking up to the school, but then the other four, they're showing up in either BMWs or station wagons or pickup trucks. And then they're having these quick exchanges with their parents. And so it's very clear that they are different in that respect just by seeing like how they show up to the school. The other scene is whenever they're having their lunch and they all have different meals that are laid out in front of them to eat. There's Claire who's got sushi. You've got Andrew who's the wrestler. He's got uh, basically a meal that feeds a family of four. He's got like three sandwiches, a bag of chips. He's got all sorts of stuff coming out of this bag. Um, Brian's got soup and some apple juice. And then you got the sugar sandwich from Allison with like Captain Crunch and Pixie Sticks and whatever. And so it was kind of funny that you take these little things, you wouldn't think too much about someone's lunch or anything like that, but they made it as a point to show that these are very, very different characters and it, there's such a divide between all of them. And it makes it more meaningful that at the end that they find common ground with each other. Oh, I wanted to bring up the adults too. There is no room for them to be multidimensional. Um, we can't have an understanding of why they treat their kids the way that they do and why the principal treats them the way that they do. They have to be one-dimensional. They have to be mean and have to inflict these pressures and uh, discipline on these kids so that we like the kids more. We feel that they're just, those kids are a product of what the adults put onto them. Normally you don't want one-dimensional antagonist, but I think it works in this film. All right, so what do you think? What it comes down to, I guess, is, is it's kind of a quality versus quantity kind of debate because you've got the the characters in The Breakfast Club who clearly they have, you know, there's more of a, a depth to them. They're dealing with some more serious issues. There's kind of more of a dynamic going on between them. And then you have just the quantity of just zany wacky people who show up along with the zany wacky main characters i i i think i'm gonna concede on this one that that the breakfast club wins yeah because it's just these five kids carrying this whole story that's pretty incredible and you have a lot of different people in ferris bueller they're all very entertaining but it feels like they're carrying most of the film and by the way, I just never liked Ferris Bueller, I think, to this day. Seems like an asshole. Well, yeah. I <laughs> Never gets his comeuppance. <laughs> he doesn't. There's no growth to him. He's entertaining to watch and to, you know, be the facilitator of all of this. But there's more entertainment to be found from all these supporting cast members. So Yeah, I don't like going down 2-1, but I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll give you that round. Okay, so that's a point to Breakfast Club. So let's go to round four. Round four is the cast and crew. And we can't really debate crew because it's the same writer and director for both movies, John Hughes. I mean, we could try to do that, but I don't think that's really necessary. So what do you got for the cast? Okay, then? so cast. <laughs> I have two words. 
Brat Pack. So this was the start of uh, a term that was coined to talk about these young actors in these movies that were like the it people. And so some of them came from The Breakfast Club and some of them came from like other movies that came through at that time, like St. Elmo's Fire and The Outsiders and elsewhere. So that's kind of significant that you have to coin a term for them and identify these these actors that were part of these influential films. Uh, something that I found interesting is The Breakfast Club was written in two days. It only took two days in July for John Hughes to write the script. But something that um, is a testament to him is that he trusted his actors and he gave them an opportunity to uh, do some ad-libbing and improv and to add to the uh, dialogue that was there in the film. And that's pretty cool for for the actors to be able to take what they think is the is what these what these characters are, and to inject some of what their thoughts are about these characters. So when Brian uh, Anthony Michael Hall's character he's showing off his fake ID, and Andrew's asking what do you need it for, and he says so I can go vote. And usually with fake IDs it's to you be able to buy alcohol, but for him to say vote like that's very much something that Brian would say, and I found entertaining. And then another instance is, near the end of the film, Andrew's talking about why he got punished and why he felt the need to pull this prank on someone, and it's because he's gotten all his pressure to please his dad, to be the big guy and the popular guy the way that his father was back in the day, and so he comes up with this giant monologue about the only thing matters is win, win, win. And that's pretty incredible for him to come up with that on the spot. And the other actors had that ability to do that. So I feel like that was a pretty incredible thing for them to carry the movie like that. So I will say that I do think that the writer and director for Ferris Bueller's Day Off is superior to the writer and director <laughs> for The Breakfast Club. Uh, the cast in, in Ferris Bueller's Day Off is, like, you got a couple of up-and-comers from the time, because you had Matthew Broderick, who, uh, I mean, he's still, to this day, is Ferris. I'm, he always will be. There's there's no way that he's going to have anything more iconic than that role, but uh, but did go on to do many other things also. And you had Jennifer Grey, another one kind of coming on at, at the time. Uh, and then there uh, again, I keep getting back to these these smaller roles from from the the movie, because you had you had a really strong cameo from from Charlie Sheen toward the end, where he's the the youth that's in trouble at the at the police station for drugs, and and I mean I don't even think he had to act to do that scene. He was it was really just Charlie Sheen was in the police <laughs> police station for drugs. But I, it was, that that part's really funny, and and uh, he was another one who was just about to hit his apex uh, after this this movie, I think. And then uh, Ben Stein, uh, I mean, talk about coming up big with this movie. He became the paragon of boring teacher. Like he he just he got this typecast. I mean, I I wish I could have that <laughs> that job to just be the boring teacher in film. I think that that was kind of an iconic. Thing from from this movie uh, that continued, and then you had uh, I talked about how Rooney, played by Jeffrey Jones, is he's almost like in some ways comic relief within a comedy, 
And he just, the way that he plays it in this movie is just that perfect combination of kind of creepy, slimy, but also, and he's in, I mean, he's incompetent, he's he's unlikable, but it's all funny somehow. And, and so I, I really liked uh, his performance in this one, too. All right. So it's between Brat Pack versus this this combination of actors, like up and coming and established. I don't remember if we had like a specific reasoning for this, but I I feel like Breakfast Club just because. Yeah, it... I, I'm willing to concede this one also, even though it makes it so that I'm down 3-1, which is not a great scorecard. But um, I, I think that the. The, the performances of the actors in Breakfast Club, I mean, they're so young and and then they're giving such strong performances. I think that, that that's a little bit unexpected in a way. And, and, and you got to give them, you know, for, for a, a youth to be pulling off that level of, of drama is pretty impressive, yeah. I think. And, and that's kind of where I'm willing like you do have a lot of fun performances in Ferris Bueller's Day Off but but overall I think I think I'm willing to concede that you've got some, some impressive all right work in in The Breakfast Club. Cool, you made my argument for me. Point to Breakfast Club. Round 5. <laughs> Round 5 is the music that is featured in these films. Start um, the comeback here. Yes. So what do you have for that? got two words oh yeah (laughs) and i don't need to say anything else but i will because that's what i do i mean that that song in and of itself for for such a terrible song and there's someone out there who really likes it whatever that's fine do you but it's really not a good song and it is just ingrained in your consciousness like if you think of the movie ferris bueller's day off tell me you don't hear that at some point in your head you know that that song is just it's so like connected to the idea of the the movie and you know you'll even hear it at at dodgers games if they ever get to play dodgers games this year whenever walker bueller pitches just because of the bueller Uh, but you've got some other cool stuff in the movie also with the music where it really just is used as a tool to help accentuate whatever action is going on on the screen where you've got especially the parade sequence where you know ferris somehow takes over the, the parade and he's lip-syncing all these songs and so he's singing singing donka shane and and twist and shout and for in this parade that for some reason is going on in chicago in the middle of a weekday yeah. <laughs> i don't know about that but um, but yeah, so so you have the the music really kind of playing an integral part there, and then also uh, there are some other moments too. But but another one that that kind of stood out is the uh, the song's called "March of the Swivel Heads" by English Beat, and that's what's playing when uh, Ferris is trying to uh, beat his parents home so that they don't know that he's been out all day, and and it really. You know, it really just colors that scene. It really kind of, as it's playing and uh, goes along really well with, with what's happening there. And then, you know, back to the, the Oh Yeah song. <laughs> it fits because they play it again at the end when when uh, Rooney's doing the, the walk of shame by this, the school bus. <laughs> they finally pick him up and it's just, you know, comes full circle in that way, I guess. But but yeah, I think the music is pretty effective in, in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. All right, I'm going to make this short. Uh, There's only one song that matters in The Breakfast Club. It's what they start 
the film with and where they end the film with, and that is Don't You Forget About Me by Simple Minds. Something I just want to bring up with this is it was written and they were looking for some band or some artist to perform it for this movie specifically, and some others turned it down, including Billy Idol. And then eventually they came around to Simple Minds, they decided to record it, and it became one of the top songs in the U.S. It was number one on the Billboard charts. And if you think of The Breakfast Club, one of the first things that you're going to have pop into your mind is that song. And for me, as I was getting ready for this uh, recording this episode, I could not get that song out of my head, which is the power of Don't You Forget About Me. But that was the the theme. That was the anthem for The Breakfast Club in that film. I'm going to go ahead and say I will concede it because I only have the one song and Ferris Bueller has multiple and they're uh, important to advancing the story. But I do want to say that I found interesting that they did release an official soundtrack to The Breakfast Club, but John Hughes did not want to release a soundtrack for Ferris Bueller's Day Off, even though it was more important to the film. He just felt that whenever you put all those songs together, there was, there was different types of songs and it wouldn't fit as an official soundtrack and he didn't think people were going to go out and buy it. Uh, I, was de- I was definitely going to say I think I get this one, uh, just because of that. Like it's... It, not, Breakfast Club has some moments where where music is integrated, but I I just think that overall it's it's more impactful the way that it's used in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So, all right, told all you right. it was gonna start that comeback. Don't call it a comeback. Okay, round six. <laughs> round six is the production. This is the setting of where these films take place. So. You only have one location for The Breakfast Club. It's this high school, and more specifically, most of the scenes are taking place in the library. And so that's pretty interesting that it's only in one in uh, one location. It makes it very intimate. It's not necessary to show them at each of their houses and how they have this dynamic with their parents. You don't see them like in a classroom in, during the week and having their exchanges with their friends or whoever. Everything is very intimate, and they're able to have an interesting story all take place in this one location. And something that I found out later is that a lot of the people who watched this film thought it would be great to make this as a one-act play. And so John Hughes agreed to that and rewrote it as a one-act play, and it's very easy to do to have it on a stage because you don't need multiple settings. You don't have to keep changing the backdrop. Everything just takes place in one location. So for for Ferris Bueller's Day Off, the coolest thing about the production maybe is that that it's this ode to Chicago, and and so the the setting is has like it's always something that that John Hughes talks about being important for him, um, but just the way that that he portrays the city, um, and and in the adventures of the day, uh, Ferris and his friends they go to all these different places that are just kind of like institutions. Uh, in the city and so it really it really all of the locations it, it pays a real loving tribute to the city and because they go to uh, the restaurant I forget the name of the restaurant uh, but they, they go uh, to the art institute uh, the museum when they're looking at all the sculptures and the paintings and they, they go to the Sears Tower 
uh, and they're looking down over the city. They catch a game at Wrigley Field, and so you have all of these locations that are that are really important to where to the point where you know the city is just really strongly represented as as a part uh, of the movie, and I think that that's the the standout uh, piece of the the production in in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. All right, so it's one location versus multiple locations. Well, it's a valiant effort to be able to put a movie together that just takes place in one location, but it is more entertaining to see all these different locales in Chicago, all these institutions that you talk about. Something that um, I see occasionally in film and TV is that you have the city as another character. So I think of The Wire, Baltimore is a character that's very much a part of the entire story. Chicago is a character. This is the reason why Ferris Bueller wants to take a day off because he wants to see all the wonderful things that the city has to offer. And so it plays a more important part in it than just this high school. So I think... I think that I, I, I'll say, I, I think this one's a, a close, pretty close category for me because I do think that it's impressive to pull off that, um, you know, single location kind of thing it, it really what they did in the breakfast club is it is like the way that it's all put together and it's just it you know it moves even though it's just in this one place the way that the uh the plot plays out and so on but yeah i think that that just the way that that the the city it, that it that it breathes you know it's it's really you get you get the character of the city from it and so uh, yeah i i definitely i would i would lean toward Ferris Bueller's Day Off on this one. So I brought it back to a tie. I told you it was coming back. All right, now we're down to the last round. Round seven. Round seven is about legacy. How we're, all, this... we're, all, we're all tied up going into this one, too. Three, three. So so this round is going to decide it. And so with with legacy for, for Ferris Bueller's Day Off, it's it's strong. I... I it's it's been very influential and I, and I mean like i was talking with the music when you hear that oh yeah song and 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 how if you've seen ferris bueller's day off if you hear that oh yeah song you're gonna think about ferris bueller's day off and um so they play the song at dodgers games when walker bueller pitches like i said and and so that's it's still something that's in the consciousness of people you, you know beyond like however many years later it's a long time now and you know, it. I feel like it's also influenced um, other other films, particularly like these these sort of irreverent comedies that that instead of being you know just like completely zany irreverence, like something like Airplane or whatever, that it was more of a real kind of story. It's it's you know there it's pretty wacky in places, but it's still kind of believable. It's more of a grounded thing, um, and and in its way that it just it's it's kind of just a snapshot of someone's life. It's this in this case it's just this one day where it's not you know, we're not telling this grand story, it's not an epic or anything like that. It's just this glimpse into a person's life and and you know what kinds of things he's getting up to with his friends. And uh, so that kind of thing I think you you would see some other films that that kind of took a key from that and whether it was you know directly influenced where they were where it was a reference that they were doing intentionally or whether it's um, just you know more just subtle than that Um, I think a movie like like Clerks where you have 
just the store where it's again it's not this epic story it's just here's a day in the life of these guys who work and don't like their jobs at this store and and you know what kind of things happen to them and uh even a little bit later than that like when you get to a movie like super bad where you got the two high school kids who are you know obsessed with parties and getting laid in their last year of high school and and again it's just this snapshot it's just a, a moment in time for them and and all of the funny things that they get up to uh that that i think in in it owes a, a little bit to the the influence of of what they did in in ferris bueller's day off that that sort of look there and then also uh you you've got the the philosophy that comes from it you know with the the quote where um, you know, Barbara Bush quoted it at a commencement address, and who would have expected that Barbara Bush is quoting Ferris Bueller's Day Off? It's crazy. And then who knows how many other times, because it's just, you know, it's kind of a cool quote. So, and it fits for for that sort of theme. And and so that that philosophy with with Ferris Bueller, where it's you know where you can can seize that day and and let me do the things in life that matter. And I think so. I think that it's influential culturally and and even with movies that would come later i'm gonna bring up uh several movies and tv shows that have come out in the past 30 plus years so as far as tv shows you've got beverly hills 90210 uh the degrassi series that comes out of canada 13 reasons why uh gossip girl movies you have stuff like the sisterhood of the traveling pants juno 13, The Fault in Our Stars, and there's countless others, and the one thing that they have in common is that they're all dramas centered on teenagers. And I feel like all of these stories that come out could not be as successful if it weren't for The Breakfast Club. I don't remember anything coming out of the 70s or the 60s that just focuses on the, the teenage perspective. Those are not the important people in it coming up in the U.S. It was the adults or you have child stars. But it was an interesting time in the 80s where you had these kids who were raised by the baby boomers. And there was a lot of expectations that were set up for them that wouldn't have been there for teenagers from past generations. And so now you're seeing these different issues that they're going to be coming across so you have the relationships, you have bullying, you have uh, suicide, you have these pressures to be the best at whatever it is that you do, whether it's athletics and academics or just being the prettiest person out there. Um, and that is when The Breakfast Club came through and they found a good time to kind of introduce this stuff into mainstream culture. And it was it wildly successful. And after that, movie studios and executives realized that there is an audience for this. There are people that are going to go pay money to hear more about uh, teenage issues and their real-life dramas. And it was important. It was important now to have a conversation about what these kids were going through as they grew up. And not only that, this in particular launched careers of some of those actors that were in The Breakfast Club. So specifically, you had Emilio Estevez, who was in these movies in the 80s. He started doing some movies with his brother and went up into the 90s doing things like Young Guns and The Mighty Ducks. 
and he's kind of parlayed that into a directing career. And then you've got Molly Ringwald, who she's always going to be remembered as America's sweetheart and being in those uh, stretch of movies out in the 80s. And one of the strongest performances she gave was Claire in The Breakfast Club. So there's two things there. It, it really helped with some of the careers of those kids, and it also brought into our consciousness the real-life struggles that teenagers have, and we're now to be taken seriously. So what's going to win this for legacy? They both have good legacies, and they both have been uh, enshrined in the National Library of Congress. So they're both very significant films. Yeah, the, to me, this is actually the closest round when I think about it. In, in each case, it I think you can really you can really talk about a strong, strong legacy coming from from each one of them. I do. Eh, well, which one? Which one do you think wins? Because this is the last round, and this is going to decide the whole thing because it's it all. all tied up. And this is final word. Like no other debate matters. This is going to determine it. We watched these movies before, back in 10, 15, 20 years ago, and we think fondly of them. We remember why they're so, such special memories. But then we were just re-watching them this week, and we had a different take on them. They didn't hold up as well as we remembered them, but if we think about the two films and which one we enjoyed watching more than the other, I think Breakfast Club was more enjoyable to watch than Ferris Bueller. Yeah, it was kind of it was kind of interesting. I do I did enjoy that rewatch and and that's why by by a hair, by a hair. And then again, this this legacy one to me is the is the toughest one to call, but by a hair I will give it to to Breakfast Club. But I I will say, you know, it was funny watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off because you consider it to be one of those movies that that would be you you could rewatch it and rewatch it and rewatch it. And it it was just kind of funny that while I was rewatching it this time that I just kind of felt like I was waiting for it to be over. <laughs> and and it's not because I didn't like it because you know, I still I still think the movie's entertaining and and funny. Um but it was just different. But then, you know, as soon as we started talking about the ideas and what what go I was going through what I was going to say, I I realized that the that it was really really fun to talk about, but for some reason I you know, it's not that I dislike the rewatch, but it just was, it seemed a little more tedious. But then I, I came to the realization, though, that I actually have much more fun talking about Ferris Bueller's Day Off than I do talking about The Breakfast Club. But by that hair, by that hair, I think that, uh, yeah, Breakfast Club... Has staying power yeah, over it, Ferris Bueller. I thought I had all these good arguments about Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but I guess I'll... Initially, I thought whenever we were pitting these two films together, I thought Ferris Bueller was going to win out. But then we were really looking at it in detail, and it kind of changed, so... See, and I was I was actually the other way around, because when we were starting it, I, like in my gut, I figured it would be Breakfast Club. But then the more and more I started going through with Ferris Bueller and and talking about it, and it's just the movie is just too fun. Like there's too many funny things to talk about, and and it's so entertaining. But but I think in the end that it's really just that Breakfast Club has so much more of a dynamic presence because there's the comedy, but there's also the these dramatic moments and these the all the shifts like the that the characters have to go through that and 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 so in the end I think it's just that it just has that you know little bit more substance that is the reason why I would say that it that it 
by the slightest of margins, comes out on top in this debate. All right. So that's the end. Breakfast Club wins. And that was a, a good fight from you. Maybe next time. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I hope I brought enough dumb to that debate. Okay. <laughs> well, we're getting up on an hour, so we're just going to call this the end here. I would like to hear your opinions. Who do you identify with uh, in any of these films? And which of you, which of one of these do you think was the better of the film? Let me hear your thoughts at semifieldwriter at gmail.com. I also have a blog, semifieldwriter.com. And I changed my Instagram handle so you can follow me at semifieldwriter. There might be more updates. Uh, just keep checking in. And I think we're going to lend it right there. Thanks for doing this, Eric. Yeah, it was fun. All right. I can definitely bring the dumb to a dumb film debate. All right. Maybe I'll do it again sometime. Okay. Take care, everybody. Again, stay safe. Go local. Support your local businesses. And we'll see you in two weeks. You're still here? It's over. Go home. <laughs>